What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you on the Athletics Podcast Network. And of course, many of you listen to this pod on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. We appreciate all of that. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million, jump on board of the Duncan Holder podcast. And of course, please feel free to subscribe, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder for this podcast and everything else we do at The Athletic. And I don't think there's too many people uh, within the NFL or people following the NFL that expected what happened in the Superdome on Sunday as the Vikings upset the Saints 26-20. The Saints season is abruptly over. 13 wins, all for naught. Uh, Another division title, all for naught. Their quickest playoff exit since 2010, Jeff. I haven't even had to think back. That was a beast mode, uh, beast quake, uh, the last time the Saints were ejected from the playoffs this early. And, Jeff, I know you and me were thinking the same thing. Just what on the planet happened? Because the Saints seemed like they were firing on all cylinders going into this game, and it's almost like they just laid an egg in the playoffs, and now your season's over. Yeah, pretty stunning, I think, all things considered. You know, they've had a lot of disappointing playoff losses, but I don't think they've ever had one as surprising as this. You're playing at home, you're eight-point favorites. We know Minnesota's history in these big games like this, Kirk Cousins especially. Uh, The Saints had come in, right, Larry? I mean, they came into the playoffs on a roll. You could argue they were – hotter offensively than any team in the league statistically they were and they just never seemed to get going I really you know after watching the game again I think uh, it kind of reinforced what we saw during the game and that is just Minnesota played better they they kind of out executed the Saints and I think they had a better game plan I, I think if Sean Payton you talk to him today he'd admit they they did not have a very good plan I don't think they had a great plan defensively especially uh, it looked to me like they just Kind of wanted. This is the Saints to some degree. We're going to line up and play you know man to man. We're going to our our guys are better than your guys. And yesterday they weren't in a lot of key situations. And it was that simple. They they weren't as good blocking up front, and they weren't as good covering on the perimeter. And that's this kind of football. Lots of times we want to get caught up in the strategic uh, part of the game and the X's and O's and uh, the coaching aspect. In this instance, I just think. Minnesota played better and probably deserved to win. And Jeff, you know, it, it seemed like, I guess let's just start here offensively, and then we can shift gears uh, as we move along this podcast. And this is just for a, a kind of a disclaimer, this podcast is going to be primarily focused on what did and did not happen in yesterday's uh, loss by the Saints, and we will be jumping into off-season mode uh, in the coming podcast. So we're going to focus primarily on kind of what's fresh and, and what happened as, of course, the Saints are doing exit interviews and players are cleaning out their lockers. So we'll get to uh, the offseason, which will certainly be an important one, as always. Uh, so we'll touch on that in uh, future podcasts, most likely our Monday pod next Monday. Uh, so if, just, just as a disclaimer. But let's just start offensively. And, I mean, we could kind of go across the board 
and and Jeff might as well start with Drew Brees. And it's not like he played one of his more crisp games that we've seen. Uh, of course, making the mistake on the interception, uh, throws it into double coverage. That was a risk that probably did not need to be taken. That led directly to a touchdown. Sure, you could call it a punt on third and seven, but still, uh, you, they are capable of picking up a first down and moving the ball. So that was obviously a questionable decision. And then Jeff, uh, it kind of surprised me a little how Drew was really blunt on the lost fumble, uh, the sack fumble uh, late in the fourth quarter where he did not sugarcoat. He didn't point a finger specifically at one person, but he said there was definitely a mistake on the route and basically pointing that someone should have been there ready for the ball and he had to hold it too long and had to fumble it. And so, uh, but Jeff, you know, with the way Drew was playing going into this, he was the NFC's Offensive Player of the Month, and he just did not look like the same guy we've seen in December. Once January hit, it seemed like uh, you know he wasn't as comfortable and uh, the same guy we've seen the last month. Yeah, you know, uh, afterward, Mike Zimmer said uh, the key was mixing things up, disguising coverages. They know, obviously, Drew Brees very well. I, I think... That's another underrated aspect of this game was uh, the Vikings have played the Saints so much. I think they had a real good bead on how they operate offensively. I know Zimmer and Peyton are obviously familiar with each other. They've coached together. And that, I think, played true in this game. They knew with Drew Brees, everything he does at the line of scrimmage, they had to constantly change, give him different looks, keep him guessing, and frankly, sometimes they outguessed him. And that doesn't happen very often with Drew Brees. He's so good in his preparation and film study at reading defenses. And I think the, Cal- uh, the Vikings did a great job of keeping him off balance. And that play in particular, he went to the line, made a check, an audible. And I think it was Mike Thomas, to be honest with you, watching the game again. Looked to me like he wanted to go to Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas ran one route. He was expecting another. Had to hold the ball a tick too long. And he needed to get rid of that ball. I mean, that's really more on him, in my opinion. Uh, and I think he was getting ready to get rid of it. And it just so happened Daniel Hunter uh, gets to him really quickly. But I think the other thing that's lost in all these things is just how quickly the guys are getting to him also, though. I mean, the Vikings didn't blitz very much, Larry. They, they, they rushed four most of the time. And they were beating not only inside uh, Warford and Pete when they lined up Hunter and Griffin inside – but they were beating their tackles. I mean, Ryan Ramchek gave up a lot of pressure. Uh, and so, again, it, it goes back to what I said earlier. I mean, they were just getting whipped. Uh, you know, their best players were getting whipped. Uh, we were not used to seeing that all year. I don't have an explanation for it other than Minnesota just kind of played better. And it was coming from a lot of different guys, uh, guys you don't expect. Yeah, and we'll shift to the offensive line. I mean, we could point to uh, some other aspects here uh, offensively going forward. But the offensive line, Jeff, yeah, look, I talked with Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchek after the game, and Ramchek just had no problem saying that he did not play his best game. I don't know what was up. Maybe uh, Hunter and Griffin, look, they're two of the better duos in the league. There's no question about that. And yet, you're not used to seeing that from Ryan Ramchick. I mean, there's a reason why he's a first-team All-Pro, and he did not have a good game. And, of course, Andres Pete struggles again. And I knew uh, once uh, Pete left, you know, fans would 
be happy. And obviously that's not right, but still, uh, you know, it's it seemed like once Pete left, the Saints were moving the ball a little bit better. And then Pete came back and, you know, Jeff, it's it's really been kind of a, a mix and match for him. Sometimes he'll look great. Sometimes he'll look just awful. And you know, putting Hunter and putting Griffin on the inside and really focusing in on him, I'm sure that had to have been uh, a big-time game plan for the Vikings, and it certainly worked. Yeah, and look, it wasn't just Pete. I mean, I, I, Warford got – he got pushed around a lot. I'm not used to seeing that either. Um and it was a good strategy. They knew that Drew Brees at six feet tall, you know, the main thing for him is having an anchored pocket where he can step up and make passes. And he didn't have that a lot of times. And that, I think that interior heat and a lot of that pressure back in his face, uh, it disrupted his timing. And that's what Drew Brees is all about. He's about timing, getting the ball out. And once he can't climb the pocket and that pressure's coming in his face, uh, and they, when they did blitz, Larry, the, the blitzes they sent were in the A-gap trying to get pressure in his face. And I think it was effective. Uh, and it took those Saints a while to kind of adjust and, 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 and kind of go in another direction. But early on, I think that led to a lot of their issues uh, offensively. And Jeff, you, you look at just some of the bright spots. I mean, if the Saints win this game, this would have been the Taysom Hill story. Uh, him and Deontay Harris would have been the sidebar. I mean, because of what Taysom was able to do, running the ball, throwing the ball, catching the ball. and But, Jeff, we don't think that, boy, you got to lean on Taysom Hill to win a game. Uh, to me, in and of itself, that seems uh, out of the realm of what you would typically think. But uh, I think that because they had to do that, uh, you, they had to change the strategy. I think Taysom Hill even said this after the game, that they were taking things away and they were leaning on Taysom Hill to win the game. And uh, to me, that, that just seems strange. And if you're having to do that, I, we, I know how much you appreciate Taysom Hill's game. I, you know, I think I tease you that you have like this love affair for Taysom Hill. But still, uh, look, he's a great player uh, within this offense. But if you're having to lean on him, that means they're taking away Drew Brees really out of the equation. Michael Thomas isn't that effective. Alvin Kamara isn't that effective. Uh, if you're having to lean on Taysom, you know, the Vikings are doing a lot of things right. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I mean, the fact that the Saints were – they were making the Saints play left-handed, right? I mean, you're having to go to your backup quarterback to gain yards on the ground just indicates that they were effectively taking away what you do best. And um, it, it seemed that way by about the third four, four or fourth quarter, the Saints were having to rely on Taysom Hill to make any kind of big play – uh, and that is not good. And it, it felt to me, Larry, during the game, and I'm sure you would you would agree, it felt like the Saints were like, uh-oh, we're, we're kind of caught with our pants down in this game plan. We're not going to get it back here. We just need to try and sneak out of here with a win. Like It felt to me like the aggressive, bold Saints that we're used to seeing, Drew Brees, Sean Payton going for the juggler, being the aggressor, uh, that was out the window, and they realized we just not got to sneak out of here because we're kind of in the middle of a fist fight, and we're not prepared for this. Let's try to just sneak out of town with the with the win, and they almost did it, uh, you know. And again, it it comes back. I know we're going to talk defense in a second, but I think the recurring theme that I've seen now in these three playoff losses is the fact that they've been in these tight games, had a chance to win, and the defense can't make the play. The defense can't get off the field. 
I know we focus on Breeze and Peyton because they're so great offensively and they're historical records. Uh, and maybe that's fair, but in this case, I felt like the offense scratched back in it, got them tied up, and here we are again in overtime, and the defense can't make a stop to get the ball back to Breeze and let him drive him down for a field goal to win. Well, yeah, we will talk certainly defense here uh, in the back half of this podcast for sure, and we will talk about the call or no call at the end of the game. Don't worry. I had my last chat with head of officiating Al Riveron, at least for this season, and then one of our colleagues in the press box she joked, oh, well, it's your first of the new year. And I'm like, wonderful. That's great. That means more will probably <laughs> be coming. But, uh, but Jeff, just mistakes-wise, let's just go through a couple of scenarios. You have a fake punt. Josh Hill jumps off sides. Uh, you have the legal shift on the spike, and you let 10 seconds run off the clock instead of the Saints taking a timeout. And so, you know, some of these things are just – Man, you don't see this from the Saints. I just feel like it was part of the uh, part of the day. Will Lutz misses a forty-three yard. He makes a forty-nine yarder at the end, even though that thing I didn't even know was going to make it to the upright because it looked so funky. But you know these things that you don't typically see uh, happen, and I feel like it was it was just part of a, a, a almost kind of a lack of focus at times for the Saints team. Yeah, you know, we're so used to seeing them execute so flawlessly in those situations. And again, I mean, I don't know how you expect that to happen in the biggest game of the season, uh, in the postseason, when this team seems so locked in and ready for this moment. And then it was some of their best players. And it wasn't just one person, right? I mean, we, how many people have we talked about right now all making some mistakes here or there, uh, you know, that added up to a loss like this? Uh, it, it wasn't just one or two. I mean, I went back. I, I tell you another play that's a little underrated that I don't think people, um, I don't think people are thinking about. But right before halftime, right before the interception that breezed through, he had a ball on a seam route down the middle to Traquan Smith. That you know, frankly, Traquan Smith got to catch that ball. It would have been about a thirty-something yard gain. They got exactly what they wanted. They had Smith matched up against a backup safety, Andrews and Dejo. That's exactly what the Saints want. And Breeze probably could have led him a little more. I mean, if all things were perfect, that ball would have been led a little more. But Mike Thomas definitely makes that catch. Most NFL receivers would make that catch. And those are the plays you've got to make in games like this because it's not going to be a walkover. You're playing a good team. Uh, you know, the, the Cincinnati Bengals of the world are gone. You've got to make these kind of plays in these big games. And I think one of the issues this team's got to get to, and we'll talk about it in a later podcast, Larry, They've got to find somebody that can get down the field and make those kind of plays. Uh, it's clearly not Ted Ginn Jr. He had another chance. Like the interception that Breeze threw, yes, it was underthrown. Yes, it was a good play by Harris. But, like, Ted Ginn didn't even really compete for the ball. He didn't even really try to jump for it. Uh, you know, how many times do we see, you know, great receivers in this league? They go up and try and get that ball. Maybe you don't catch it, but at least you, you keep it from being an interception. Ted Ginn's waiting on it to come to him, and it's just not going to happen. So that's a missing element of this team that showed and reared its head again yesterday. Yeah, Ted Ginn's in his final year of his contract. I think he's played his final snaps with the Saints. I think they are going to have to move on from him and find someone who will compete because, Jeff, this isn't the first or the fifth or the tenth time we've even talked about this, I feel like, on this pod uh, where he's just inconsistencies and he's just there and he's – 
uh, he's not really a major part of this. Uh, Jeff, as far as the ground game for the Saints, I mean, Taysom Hill definitely helps alter the stats. Four carries for 50 yards. But it's not like the Saints really even got that going. Uh, and, you know, people are wondering, where's the balance of that and the other? And it's not like the Saints were heavily out of this game. Uh, I, I'm wondering why the Saints uh, maybe didn't try to use that as much. Or, look, again, Alvin Kamara, two good games coming into this game. Uh, had seven carries for 21 yards, had the touchdown, uh, but also had eight catches for 34 yards. But his longest plays on the ground were for five yards, and his longest play catching the ball was nine yards. I mean, you, you needed that element, and it's it, it just wasn't there yesterday like it hasn't been for outside of maybe the past two weeks leading up to this game, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, they've got to get the running game solved in the offseason because that was non-existent down the stretch. And I think it kind of abandoned them last year in the playoffs as well. And uh, they just didn't have it. I mean, they had to go to Taysom Hill to get yards on the ground. And the difference between what the Vikings do running the ball and the Saints was night and day yesterday. And I think that lack of balance uh, came back to haunt the Saints in the end uh, because they couldn't just rely completely on Breeze in the passing game. Absolutely. And it's offensively, you know, uh, people have been and, – and you – kind of said the out coach thing in your column uh, I mean do you think that there are things offensively where you think Peyton uh, could have changed or or do you think just the Vikings were just able to uh, out muscle them on the offensive line a combination of both what are you thinking there yeah well I think I think clearly Zimmer had a great beat on what the Saints like to do offensively and so I feel like they just had a better plan uh, you know, than the Saints did. It, it felt to me like the Saints came into this game um, with their regular season kind of plan, what they normally do, which is, I mean, you have to kind of do that, right? I mean, you have to go with what got you there. Uh, you're going to ride ride that horse, but you don't, you don't anticipate all these mistakes happening as well. You know, you don't anticipate the, the, the missed tackles, the penalties, the, the turnovers, all those things add up. And there's just such little margin for error. And I felt like Zimmer had a great plan. And I think Stepanski offensively had a good plan. They stuck with it. They got outside. The Saints were really getting outflanked defensively early on on the running game. I think they did a much better job in the second half. But the other thing, I think some of the injuries and some of the things that, uh, you know, they were able to get away with this year uh, on the back end defensively, uh, the loss of like Kiko Alonso, you had to put Craig Roberts on there. All those little things kind of added up. So it's not, it wasn't one thing. It was a collection of things in a game like this. It was just enough to help them create a third down here or there uh, that caught up to the Saints. Yep, and we'll jump into the defense and uh, the Kyle Rudolph touchdown that was upheld. Uh, we'll touch on that in the back half of this podcast. But the second week of the playoffs is upon us. The bad news is that there's only a few more weeks left in the football season. But the good news is that you can still get your fantasy fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. And if you've never played before, there's even more to celebrate. You can play for a $1 million top prize this weekend. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, 
Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at $1 million top prize. Plus, all new and existing users get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash play you could go throughout the postseason. With only the best football teams left, there is no better time to be playing. Download the DraftKings app now and use code RUN, that's R-U-N, for a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. Remember, that's code RUN, and you can get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings. A minimum $5 deposit is required, and the deposit bonus requires a 25-time play through. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So, Jeff, defensively, obviously the Saints came out and it was a Dalvin Cook show early on. I mean, he was running through them and the Saints did not really have an answer. And uh, the Saints barely held the ball for much of the first half. Uh, Let's see, the Saints were 1 of 5 on third down, so offensively they weren't being able to stay on the field. But defensively, the Vikings did what they did. And it's it's pretty amazing that you would say the Vikings do that because we're so used to the Saints doing that. And even though the Saints were able to stop that in the second half, I think the run set up the pass and got Kirk Cousins a lot more comfortable. And he's not comfortable. Unless, uh, uh, to He has to be comfortable to make that throw at the end of the game. Uh, because it was a perfect pass to Thielen, dropped it right in the bucket with Patrick Robinson in the coverage. Yeah, and that was another example of uh, what I meant by you know just good plan, good execution. I mean, the Saints went to a zero blitz. Uh, they tried to come after Cousins. They did that a few times where they Dennis Allen dialed things up. And Cousins, to his credit, got the ball out lots of times right before you know the, the pressure got there. But he got it out, and in that situation – the coverage has got to hold up, right? I mean, it's just it's mano a mano on the perimeter. Somebody's got to win, and the Saints didn't win enough of those uh, enough times. And what they did, Larry, just watching the game again, it was just flat out, uh, we're going to put Marshawn Lattimore on, on Adam Thielen. Janoris Jenkins is taking Stephon Diggs. They used Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, on the third receiver, B.C. Johnson, And this was an interesting strategy, an interesting plan. They put P.J. Williams on uh, Kyle Rudolph, the tight end. I thought that was interesting. So they made that decision, obviously, during the week. But it was basically, we're going to play man-to-man. These are our guys. You're going against your guys. And the the Vikings won way more often than the Saints did in coverage. didn't happen all the time. I mean, the Saints won their share of them. They got to Cousins a few times. But for the most part, in critical third downs, like the the game-winning touchdown, Cousins was just saying, I'm putting the ball up and my guy's going to win, and, and he did. Yeah, look, Thielen overcame the early fumble. Uh, second takeaway forced uh, in Janoris Jenkins' uh, career, uh, as many as in two weeks. Uh, but, Jeff, you know, it's it's hard to totally single out someone, but, uh, look, Marshawn Lattimore wasn't the same guy we've seen throughout the year. And it's not like Adam Thielen has been lighting the world on fire uh, since coming back from his injury, 
but Janoris Jenkins certainly put the clamps on Stefan Diggs. Uh, he was so frustrated throwing helmets, doing acting like a nut job on the sideline. Uh, but Thielen, seven catches, 129 yards. Of course, he had the big 43-yarder, but still, that would still be six catches for, say, 80-some-odd yards. Uh, so it, it just seemed like Lattimore was turning and twisting around and just, yeah. you know, just, uh, I don't know, a couple of yards off in coverage, and you're just not accustomed to that. And, Jeff, on the sideline, it was after uh, one of the touchdown drives uh, looked like Aaron Glenn lit into Marshawn Lattimore, and Lattimore didn't take kindly to it. But, look, if you're going to be a big-time corner, you got to make big-time plays in, in the clutch, and it just did not seem like he had his, one of his better games on Sunday. No, and, and, you know, to touch on that one that Cousins dropped into Thielen where he – it was the first snap that Patrick Robinson came on the field to go against uh, Thielen. I mean, I don't know. They Zimmer said afterward – he wasn't aware that Lattimore came out, but he's also not the offensive coordinator. That's Gary Kubiak and his staff. But they called up a play and got him matched up man-to-man. That's what I'm talking about, being outcoached and good coaching for the Vikings. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad uh, decision by the Saints, more so a, a great decision by the Vikings, and they executed. I mean, go back and watch that play. It's an incredible catch. I mean, incredible throw and catch. He gets rid of it right when he has to. Uh, and it's just you got to tip your cap sometimes. I mean, that was just great execution, and they went right at the guy that comes off, comes into the game fresh. And it's bad. It's kind of misfortune for the Saints. Their best corner comes out, uh, gets hit by friendly fire and head on, and um, you know the Vikings recognized it and went after it. So those are the kind of things that I'm talking about when I say that I thought they were out coached. I just think the Vikings really were aggressive. And just let it all hang out in a game that not a lot of people thought they could win. Well, I'm not certain that Cousins wouldn't test Lattimore in the first place, even if he was still yeah, in the game. Yeah, you're right. So I think the fact, though, I'm sure Cousins saw that he wasn't over there, and he's like, oh, I'm even more apt to take this shot and, and go deep downfield. And it, it was a hell of a throw. I mean, it was a great throw. It was a perfect pass. Like I, You could have had even better coverage, and maybe they still make that play. But that was that was a great play. But, but Jeff, yeah, we're used to seeing – um, Kirk Cousins fold in these moments. He did not, and we're, I, I was. I, I thought the Saints didn't do a great job pressuring the quarterback. Look, they got two sacks. One was Cam Jordan later in the game. Another one was Trey Hendrickson, who I actually thought had a pretty good game. Him in and of itself, uh, especially one time he has a he covers a tight end in coverage. Actually, has good coverage, and they <laughs> throw an incomplete right. pass. Never thought I'd see that, but I just don't think. Uh, up front uh, and say in the linebacking core, they they did enough. I mean, you look at the way they couldn't stop the run in the first half and then they couldn't get pressure on Cousins. I mean, that's going to put a lot of pressure in the back end and uh, you add it all up and, and you saw what happened. The Saints lost. Well, the, the linebacker core did not play very well in the first half, especially even DeMario Davis. I mean, they were getting losing leverage on those stretch runs they were, uh, Cam Jordan was getting outflanked. I mean, we don't see that very often. Again, this goes back to the same theme we talk about. Some of the best players on the team were, were not playing as well, and, and it wasn't just the whole game. It was just here or there, one guy would mess up or lose leverage, and it would cost him on a third down and extended drive, and it's just not the type of things you expect from a team that's as good and as talented as the Saints are. And I think we agree the Saints are – probably more talented than 
than the Vikings, but it isn't that great of a disparity. And I just feel like the Vikings came in and, and they kind of got their footing there, Larry, late in the third quarter. That 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 touchdown drive they got right right before halftime, uh, that was one where they converted a bunch, like one of those spinning, twisting Marshawn Lattimore plays that I've, I've watched it now three or four times. I, for the life of me, can't even figure out what Lattimore is doing. I, I don't know if he just got confused. And it also, I would say this, and I know this is a whipping boy for Saints fans to some degree, but uh, Marcus Williams did not play well. I mean, you could make an argument. Some of those long passes, the one that, that we that he dropped in the bucket to Thielen over P-Rob, I mean, where's the free safety help on that play? Uh, you know, he, he had a, a bunch of plays where he's arriving on the scene just a little late, that the touchdown that uh, uh, Dalvin Cook scores before halftime to give them a 13-10 to 10 lead. Uh, Marcus Williams really late filling that hole uh, on the backside. That's his role as a free safety. We know he's not necessarily a great run stopper, but you got to come up there and make that play. And I know there's a lot of questions. I didn't feel this way, but I wanted to ask you about it. Did you get a chance to figure out people questioning the – the time management, the clock management of Sean Payton. I still don't quite understand the criticisms of that, but it's a, a lot of people on social media talking about uh, Sean Payton's clock management. We know what happened at the end of the game where they uh, kind of didn't get the, the two-minute drill executed exactly like they wanted, but I didn't understand at the end of the first half the questions. Yeah, I don't know the end of the first half either. I don't know if that is the questions. I think it's more that they – that – with spiking the ball and they let the 10 seconds run off. Uh, you know, if in that situation, the Saints had a timeout to use to prevent that. Uh, so, uh, you yes. know, I think that's probably where the questioning is coming in. And I also think some of the play calling people are questioning. Uh, I remember on third down when they Drew Brees did the little like shovel pass as Kamara ran by and that went nowhere. And I think people just didn't feel like. Uh, that Peyton called his best game, but yeah, I think the clock management thing is is when at the end of the game. I don't uh, for end of the first half. I mean, what do you do? I mean, the fact that they even got a big return that's what set them up, and you didn't have that much time to do it. Uh, but Lutz misses the field goal, and we just assume in Will Lutz land that that should be good, and it, it wasn't. And so, certainly uh, one of many many things that in this game. Uh, and in the last two playoff exits, uh, you know, the Saints obviously did enough things uh, in some of those games to put them in trouble. But there were far more mistakes, I feel like, in this game than we've seen uh, in the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, but we'll see what happens going forward. But all right, Jeff, let's touch on the subject that like, I don't think you or me were really are really harping on this subject. I know some players are. Von Bell brought it up and said, uh, he certainly thought it was a push off, uh, Kyle Rudolph, on PJ Williams. A lot of the talking heads were screaming about it. Officials, you know, the officiating experts on Twitter, they were saying uh, that they felt like it was pass interference, this, that, and the other. But in those situations, it, do you are you really expecting the since the way the league has been this year with that call? Are you really expecting Al Riveron to? overturn that call uh like I'm just not I don't even think Sean Payton did uh leaving the game and so uh, you know it's to me is it a call that 
if it was called offensive pass interference, would it get overturned? No. It was basically whatever was going to be on the field was going to be on the field, and we've seen that time and time again. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It, it, how was the game being officiated, Larry, the whole game? They were letting them play on the perimeter. Uh, you know, there was one pass interference call in the whole game. C.J. Gardner-Johnson on Irv Smith. Uh, they let them play and just go back and watch the game again. There's all kinds of hand fighting, and they let it go on. And that's what good officials do. The, the, the players know it. They understand that, and they adjust. And I think, I think they called a good game. They, you know, there was, they were clean. They, didn't, they let a lot of those. How many times do we see both sides, Breeze and uh, Cousins, get a snap off with 0-0 on the clock where they barely got it off? And I think the officials said, you know what, we're going to let that go because we want a clean game. We don't want flags all over the field. Uh, and that's what they did in this instance. Yes, you could technically say that was a push-off, but you could also technically say that he was being held before that by P.J. Williams. And if you go back, at one of the plays even Troy Aikman said during the broadcast, in the first quarter, remember when P.J. Williams almost intercepted Kirk Cousins? Uh, it was an early play. He was on Kyle Rudolph. I mean, he was all over Kyle Rudolph on that play. Easily could have been called for holding him at, at the top of his break and almost picked off the pass because of it. And Troy Aikman said, boy, that's a, you know, that's a lot of, of contact. Easily could have been a penalty. He's right, but that set the tone for me early on. And I'm sure in P.J. Williams' mind, they're going to let us play. So we're going to get aggressive on the perimeter, and that's what good officiating is. Yeah, and I'll just give you uh, the – I asked Scott, Al Riveron on the phone after the game. Of course, uh, by now you're uh, – many of our listeners and public know that I'm the New Orleans pool reporter for – uh, asking uh, officials about calls in question after the game. And so uh, I had a chance to catch up with Al Riveron, and I'll, I'll just read you what he said. Uh, I asked how he saw the final play because he's the one to uphold the call. He's in the review booth uh, in New York, so he's making the call. And he says, uh, we looked at all the angles that Fox afforded us, and Fox gave us some great views. There is contact by both players, but none of that contact rises to the level of a foul. This is consistent with what we've done all year long, we left the ruling on the field. We let it stand, and then, of course, Jeff. They remember the uh, the the referee quickly came on and said, "Up, oh, the play's upheld uh, over the over the microphone in the dome." And then that that was that. And so I asked it, <laughs> Al Riveron if it how were they able to determine this so quickly? Because it seemed like it was a quick upheld, you know, in a critical spot. Uh, and he said, "Yes, Fox was great. They gave us every angle." that they had pertaining to the play. So we're very comfortable with what we saw. Nothing came through afterward that we had not seen prior to making the ruling. So that's that. And I do feel like while fans, you know how fans are, fans could lean on this, refs this, that, and the other. But I feel like, Jeff, there are more people out there saying, so what about this call? The Saints didn't even deserve to get into overtime. They played so poorly. I think people... Maybe they lean on this call a little bit, uh, but this call will be pushed away once the playoffs move on. This isn't going to linger, and I think people are rational enough to see that the Saints just did not play well, and they didn't necessarily deserve to win this game. Yeah, look, I think fans just frustrated with the loss. I mean, disappointed, understandably so. The Saints have the most passionate fan base in the NFL, and the passions are going to rise when they have a situation like that, but I think... Now that people have had 24 hours or 12 hours to digest it, they 
understand that the, the, the Saints, it didn't come down to that call. Uh, you know, it, it just didn't. That, that game was called well, and the Saints didn't play well enough. And it's it, – it, look, I think it's hugely disappointing, Larry. I mean, this team, we, we've tried out the stats the last few weeks. Um, they've won more games than anybody in the NFL in the last – however, you know, use your mark, the 2003 years, in the last three years, all the way back to 2009, uh, 2006 – the Saints are in the top two or three teams in wins in that Peyton Breeze era, and they've got one Super Bowl appearance to show for it. So that frustration is understandable because they've had many teams good enough to at least make it to the Super Bowl, and they've fallen short. And last year, of course, uh, was a bad call. Uh, two years th- two years ago was a uh, just a miraculous play, but this time it was – just flat out, they didn't play good enough to win. And I think that is sometimes difficult to process, and it's easier to want to point the finger and blame something else, but you really can't in this instance. I would agree with you, Jeff. would be curious to see what happens this offseason. The Saints are the 24th pick in the first round in the NFL draft, so a little higher uh, than what many people, I'm sure, anticipated. And, Jeff, I do think back the last time uh, Saints had the 24th overall pick, they picked Cam Jordan, so maybe they'll be able to do that in this draft, but who knows. But uh, uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Dunk and Holder podcast. Of course, we will have uh, our uh, another podcast this week. It will be LSU Clemson heavy, so we will do that uh, later on this week. And then next week we will jump neck deep into the offseason with the Saints free agency possible coaching moves just if people are going to be interviewing for jobs this that and the other that'll probably be hot and heavy too and where does this team go from here so uh we'll we'll touch on that but before that if you're in new orleans come on down to house of blues on saturday jeff this is incredible i mean look uh, we uh, the athletics college football is live in new orleans for the college Football playoff national championship game Saturday, January 11th. That's this Saturday at House of Blues. We'll have live episodes of the Audible podcast, which is with Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel and the Andy Staples show. Doors open at noon central and the shows start at one. Both shows will feature interviews with special guests and Q&A sessions with some of the brightest minds in college football. I will be there, Jeff. I know you will be there now since you're not having to travel to Green Bay, but it's going to be a really awesome event. Something you can only really get at The Athletic, which is pretty pretty awesome that we're doing this. So for tickets, go to theathletic.com slash houseofblues or click the link in the show notes. Make sure you get your tickets in advance because we're expecting the show to sell out because everyone wants Jeff Duncan's autograph. So, Jeff. At least you'd be able to go to that, my friend. No, I'm looking forward to it. We've got an army of people coming in uh, to cover this national championship game. Uh, we have easily the best college football, college sports uh, team that covers uh, nationwide, and they're all descending on New Orleans. Should be a great weekend. It's going to be a great event. House of Blues, awesome site. Uh, so, I look, I can't wait. I think it's going to be a, a really good time, and if you're not in that number – uh, you need to be soon because they'll have it all broken down. It's going be, to be an awesome event. Absolutely. So, all right, for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us here 
on the Duncan Holder podcast. Uh, of course, tell your friend, tell two, tell 20. You can get uh, uh, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And our Thursday pod is behind the paywall, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. So I want to thank our producer, Danielle, as always. For Jeff, I'm Larry. Thanks for joining us here on the Duncan Holder podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network.